So after the service last week, uh, someone came up to me and shared a quick story about how they felt really foolish. They introduced themselves to someone who already knew who they were, right? Have you ever done that? I've done that a ton. Todd and I were both RAs in college, and that's like what you do for the first month uh, because everybody knows you as the RA, and then you don't know anyone else. So anyways, this person, you know, told me they did that, felt really foolish, you know, felt dumb, but they realized, oh, I did it for the right reason. I, f I felt foolish for the right function. And last week, we talked about functional foolishness uh, in the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this person was functionally foolish on accident. Paul, in this chapter, is being functionally foolish on purpose. Uh, and so if you weren't here last week, let me just give us a reminder of what what. What am I saying? Functional foolishness. What is that exactly? Well, I made up the phrase, but I hope that you'll see I didn't make up the idea. This is very much what's happening. So here's the definition I came up with. is It's foolishness for a purpose, for an intent, and for a good use. So it's being foolish in a way that's intentional, purposeful, and useful towards a specific end. Uh, so uh, it's something that you normally you wouldn't do. You just normally wouldn't do this in a vacuum all by yourself. But because it's not just you and you're not in a vacuum, you're, you're doing it in order to bless someone else. So I gave the example last week of a guy who would never watch a chick flick. Uh, he just, it, by himself in a vacuum, he'd never do it. He'd rather run, sprint for 90 minutes straight than sit down and watch a chick flick. Uh, but for a girlfriend, for a group of friends, for a family, he would do it because there's a greater function. He would engage in this, what he would call foolishness for that function. It's worth it, right? Foolishness that's intentional, purposeful, and it's useful. So Paul is doing that. Paul started doing it last week. He's going to keep doing it this week in our passage together. So I want to do a quick overview of this section of 2 Corinthians where Paul is just being functionally foolish. And it starts in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Right? So he's, he's telling us what he's about to do. He knows it's foolish. He says, come along the ride. Come along for the ride. I'm going to be foolish. And then our passage today starts in verses 16 and 17. And he says again, I say, don't think of me as foolish. Let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, receive me as foolish so that I can boast a little bit. That's his functional foolishness. Is he's he's going to engage in what he knows is bad boasting. It would normally be sinful, self-centered boasting, but he's going to do it for a purpose that's worth it. And then verse 17, he says, what I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in this foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. So, and then at the very end of this section, he concludes, I've become foolish and you made me do it. Basically, I became a fool for your sake because I loved you. And, that, and we saw last week three reasons for Paul's functional foolishness. And the first was exactly that, his concern for them. He loved them so much, he was willing to look and be foolish for their good, for, their, for that function of, of them and relationship with them. And the second reason 
uh, that we saw last week was Paul saw it as an opportunity to cut off the influence of the false teachers that had and were infiltrating the church at Corinth. And ultimately, behind those false teachers, it's the work of the devil. Like, he's the father of all lies. And so Paul wants to cut off that influence. And then the third reason that Paul engaged in this functional foolishness was to show, okay, now that they're not trusting these false teachers anymore, that they can trust me. Paul's showing his trustworthiness um, by being willing to be foolish for their sake. So uh, this week, Paul's going to give us three more reasons as to why would he be foolish? Why would he be functionally foolish? So let's look at the whole passage together and uh, then we'll break it down a little bit. Paul writes again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish so that I may boast a little. What I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, takes advantage of you, exalts himself, if someone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we've been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a, a night and day I've spent in the deep, which is at sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I'll boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Articus, Aratus, the king who was guarding the city of the Damases in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through, in a, through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. So in this passage, we see three more reasons for Paul's functional foolishness. And Paul starts, after those first two verses that we already read, Paul starts by saying, I'm being functionally foolish because apparently this is what you like to listen to. Apparently you like foolishness. Many boast according to the flesh, so I'll do it too because since you guys are so wise, and the sarcasm, I mean, just dripping of sarcasm here. For you being so wise, 
tolerate the foolish gladly. And, and, and so Paul is saying, I'm using it because apparently this is what you accept. This is your language of legitimacy. And Paul's use of sarcasm shows that he thinks they're acting foolish in accepting this as a sign of legitimacy. He's not a fan of having to become foolish. That's why he says throughout here, I speak as if foolish. I'm speaking as if I'm out of my mind, as if I'm insane. But he, he wants to be really, really clear that I'm doing this for you. And the reason he had to do it for them was because they were measuring success wrongly. They measured success from outward appearance. And that's why some in the church were following these false teachers. And so an application just, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through this text and look at what it says and then what it means for us. An application for us is we got to measure success rightly. Um, we must measure success rightly and not just as it appears. So for us as a church, what is success? It's faithfulness. Well, what is faithfulness? I think it starts with the great commandment and the great commission. Are we loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? If so, are we loving others enough to tell them about Jesus, the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we help people grow, not just so that they know more about Jesus, or so that they feel more comfortable at church, but so that they can reproduce themselves in the life of another person, so that they can make disciples. And so faithfulness is success. And that's how we've defined faithfulness. That's, that's how we've boiled it down. Um, that's what we're going to be moving towards. That's what I'm going to be moving towards for the rest of my life. I, I firmly believe that these are the bookends in which Jesus has given us to life in his kingdom. Life under his kingship. And so that starts, living faithfully starts with each one of us. We each have to adopt that as our own measure of success. And it'll look different for Todd as a physical therapist or for James or than, than it does. For, like it'll, it'll manifest itself differently, but faithfulness is, is faithfulness. And that is our measure of success. And nobody can do that for you. You have to live out your own uh, calling, your own context faithfully. Nobody can do it for you. But we are called to help each other and to come alongside of each other. And that's, that's what we want to do. But it starts with measuring success rightly. And so the second reason that we see for Paul's functional foolishness is he, he engages in this behavior to expose and destroy the wrong judgment that the Corinthians had. So, so, so Paul's basically saying, you value foolishness, so I'm going to use foolishness in order to show you how foolish foolishness is. Show you how worthless it is. And so this is the, this is the section, it's, one, it's probably the most popular section of this chapter, um, where Paul matches up his spiritual resume to that of the false apostles. And uh, I think one observation I, I just want to make before we dig into that resume comparison is I think it says a lot 
that Paul did not start this letter this way, right? He didn't start the letter by saying, you guys are following these false teachers and you're fools for doing it. Like, look how much better, <laughs> look how much more qualified I am. They, they're claiming that they're so qualified to be followed. Well, look, look at me. He didn't start with this at all. He, he's not trying to put the Corinthians in their place. He's not trying to beat them up and tear them down. So I think it says a lot that like he waited until the end. It's kind of like a last ditch effort here in this letter. We're almost done with this book. And he's like, okay, if nothing else I said worked, let me engage it on your level. <laughs> let me be foolish for your sake. And I hope that the message is understood and received in that way, even if you didn't get anything else I said. So I think it says a lot that he started the way that he did in this, in this book. Uh, but then it also says a lot that he does what he's doing. He's engaging in foolishness for their sake. And it just shows how deeply he loves them. He's willing to make a statement through stupidity. <laughs> um, so, so let's jump into this spiritual resume comparison. In verse 22, Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And some scholars think that there are some subtleties, and that's why, be, because if you're familiar with the Bible, Hebrews, Israelites, descendants of Abraham, they're all different names for the same thing. Some scholars would say, well, there might be some subtleties he's alluding to. I think he's just trying to make his case airtight. Because <laughs> if he just said, oh, I'm a descendant of Abraham, the, the, false, the false teachers might go to the church at Corinth and be like, yeah, Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham too. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, sorry, bad joke. Uh, <laughs> Good joke. Uh, sorry. So Paul is just making his case airtight that these guys, if they want to claim spiritual heritage, I am equal. I'm on equal footing with them. But then he's like, okay, let's look at our service to Christ. Since you guys are so interested in following the best leader that you can, Paul says, verse 23, in service to Christ, uh, I'm, I'm, a much better, I'm a much better servant. And he points, get this, he points to his sufferings as evidence that he's a better servant. Basically, he's saying, I'm willing to endure more. I'm willing to go further. And then he's, and then I think the most powerful part is he concludes how much more willing or, or he concludes this section by saying, why? Why are you willing to go so much further, Paul? It's because of his love for the churches. He didn't go through all these shipwrecked nights, and he wasn't without food frequently so that he could point to that as his self-righteousness. He endured all of that. He didn't run towards any suffering. He ran towards opportunity to share Christ with people, to help people grow in Christ. And his muscles, his spiritual muscles and these credentials, if you will, that he lists, they were all gained in that pursuit of making disciples. He didn't run towards, you know, being in danger. <laughs> he ran towards faithfulness. So the application from the second point for us is 
when we can, if, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you're also a servant of Christ. And Paul says, see my sufferings. And I, I don't know what suffering has looked like or I don't know what it will look like in your life, but something Terry Williams, the, the pastor of our sending church, River Community, has said multiple times, and I believe Jesus sends the same message as this. Servants should expect to be treated like servants. Servants should expect to be treated like servants. Not something that you want to run and sign up for real quick. <laughs> but Jesus said it. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they obey my word, they'll also obey your word. Servants serve the master. And so what are the purposes of the master? To what end are we serving him? Knowing and loving God, making God's love known to others. That's our direction. No matter what comes, that's our direction. So that's the application from the second point for us. And the, the last point, uh, after Paul uses their foolishness to destroy their framework, um, now maybe they can finally hear Paul's point. I think Paul's point of the whole letter. And so Paul makes his point, the third reason today that he engages in this functional foolishness is boast in weakness. He says, that's the point that I've engaged in all of this functional foolishness is so that you could see that you're called to boast in weakness. Paul says it this way, if I have to boast, I'll boast of what pertains to my weakness. And so that's a really easy point for us to apply. We can just think, well, what weakness am I boasting of? Or what weakness do I have to boast of? Something else that Terry has said is that people are challenged by your strengths but encouraged by your weaknesses. And as I reflect on my own life and the life of my close friends, most people, I don't think, have trouble with being challenged. Challenges come frequently. They're, they're easy to come by, but staying and being encouraged, that's hard. Uh, it's hard for me at least. So with that being the case, how vital, if, if encouragement is vital for you, how much vital, how, how equally vital and much more vital is it for the people in the pew in front of you, the people in the cubicle next to you? And if people really are encouraged by weakness, then we've got, we've got to let our weaknesses be known appropriately. And so Paul gives this, this point of if you boast, you should boast in weakness. But then he gives a story to kind of bring this point to life. And he says, he said, Paul, Paul shares the story of his escape from Damascus, which is basically how right after Paul uh, became a believer, uh, he was on the road to Damascus and then he stayed at Damascus for a while and he actually was powerfully persuading people that Jesus was the Christ. But then the Jews, they, they, were, they were confounded. They didn't know what to do with Paul, so they said, let's kill him. Paul learned about the plan and he started hiding out <laughs> like to save his life, to save his skin. And his friends, his disciples, 
uh, helped him escape at midnight through an opening in the wall. Paul, Paul was lowered in a basket and he ran away. Um, not like a coward ran away, but like this is a death trap for me. <laughs> so, at, so basically Paul is saying, boast in weakness, I'm that guy who was in the basket. Paul is saying, I'm proud of being the guy who escaped Damascus in a basket. I'm proud of my powerlessness in that situation. And so my challenge for you is, in what way can you say, I'm that guy, I'm that girl, I'm that gal? Maybe for someone here, it's, I'm the guy who's never really had a good friend. Sure, I've had acquaintances, but I've never had someone who knows me, like the deepest, ugliest parts of me, and still loves me. But then, you could say, Christ met me there. Christ has changed me, and he still is changing me. And now, years later of walking with Jesus, he's turning me into a man who becomes a good friend to many people who've never had that type of friendship. How powerful would that be? Or if you're a lady who's always struggled with your value, you know, you've sought to find it in a man or in how well-liked you are in the community around you, yet as you press into that weakness, again, Christ changes you, you find your value in him more and more, and then throughout that change process, God starts using you to help others find their identity in him. You could say, yeah, I'm that, I'm that gal totally powerless on my own to have a, a right identity, something that I can find my value in, but Christ. Or maybe you're a person who got into an addiction uh, a long time ago and you've been addicted for years and the shame is just more than you can handle. There's a lot of shame that comes with addiction and addictions seem to perpetuate because you feel bad and then you self-medicate <laughs> with addiction or developing another addiction to cope with your first addiction. And I just want to say, you don't have to stay there. Be honest about your weakness, get help, and believe that there is power to get out. Because in Christ there is. And consider that it's possible that one day, by the power of God, you could say, I was that person. I was that person, full-blown addict, totally helpless, but with the help of trusted friends, I stayed hidden from my enemies and by God's power, I'm climbing into a basket to get out. Let me help you find your basket. That'd be so powerful. Because when we tell our stories, it's, it's, it's the same story. Physical therapist, retired person, pastor, we're all doomed without Christ. We're all totally helpless, totally weak. And so the next time that you feel weak and feel helpless, you can remember there's opportunity here to experience God's power because it's made perfect in weakness. And maybe there's someone here that's thinking, well, I've just done too much. I'm beyond hope of having the right relationship with God. There's no way. Well, the good news of Jesus says, yeah, there's hope as long as you're still breathing. As long as you're not a cadaver, there's hope. And it spe the gospel speaks to all of our issues. 
It tells of a grace that really is greater than all sin. And it tells of a grace that is great to both cover sin and power to help you get out of sin's power. Get out of the bondage. So we don't have to stay. We can increasingly live in freedom. Not, perf- not perfection, but we can live in the direction that Christ is calling us. So here's, here's how the gospel ties into the main points of our sermon today. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, it teaches us to measure success rightly. Because when God became a man in Jesus, uh, he wasn't widely recognized. But as we are inundated and as we fill our minds with truth, we can measure success rightly. But we have to hear the gospel over and over. And then when we hear the gospel, we realize that Jesus understood his role as a servant. And he expected to be treated like a servant. As a servant, you can say to the master, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. But a servant says to the master, not my will, but yours. And ultimately in the gospel, God's power was displayed through weakness. The weakness of Jesus' death on a cross brought about God's power being fully displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. So if you've not committed your life to Christ, if you've not ever decided to live for him and for him alone, you can do that today. Just simply admit you're a sinner, that you don't have what it takes, and uh, you can be in full confidence that everybody else who ever lived is in that same company with you. But you have to choose to believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life. He died a death in your place and God raised him back to life. That is what gives you right relationship with God. That is your confidence. And so you can invite God's spirit into your life to be your master. He's a really, really good leader, the best. And so if you're not ready to make that decision, that's okay, it's a big decision, but I just encourage you not to delay. Just work through whatever is giving you pause. Find answers to any questions that you have. Include people in that process. Get, get help. Find someone to listen. Find someone to help you pursue answers to your questions. I'm happy to listen, especially after talking for 30 minutes today. Uh, I'm happy to listen. That sounds great. But there's a lot of other people just as qualified as me, happy to listen. And if you're a Christ follower, if you have received Christ, and if you are committed to live for him, just know that you've, we, as Christ, we've got to exert effort to live the life that Christ came to bring. Functional foolishness is not our default. <laughs> we normally just live for ourselves, which is foolishness. But we have to exert effort to keep the function in front of us. And we have to keep relying on grace as we exert effort. And over time, as you keep relying on grace and exerting effort, God will use your weakness to display his power. You'll become that person. Oh yeah, I'm that person in the basket. Totally powerless. God rescued me. God has used me since then. So we're all going to be foolish for something. So why not choose to be weak? Choose to be foolish for the right function.
why not choose to let God's power and infinite wisdom be seen through you? It's amazing to me that God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, could do whatever he wants, however he wants to, but he chooses to use us, weak people, to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray together. Lord, none of us like to be weak. None of us like to look foolish. I know I don't. But I pray that your love for us would move us to consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you, Jesus. Help us be faithful servants who boast in the truth that we don't have what it takes to accomplish your purposes, but we do have who it takes. Keep talking to God as we continue in worship.